This week, we discuss which 2-0 teams are pretenders, which 0-2 teams should still have faith, and did the umpiring department get it wrong? We also delve into the phenom that is Jordan Degoe, and is the SCG having a laugh? Stay tuned for that and more in this week's episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Yes, I'm Matt Walsh. I'm going to be your host for today and joined always, as always, with uh, with me is Neil Seawang from ESPN.com.au. How are you, Neil? Pretty well. Licking my wounds from another poor week of tipping, but we'll get into that. I think we'll touch on that a little <laughs> bit later. We'll make sure to <laughs> touch on that. Jake Michaels, ESPN.com.au. Welcome along. Thank you, Matt. Good to be back for the third week. We... Uh We've got the green light to go again, which is always good. We've got the boss sitting in today, so he's uh, he's very happy up there. And it's nice to smile, nice little wave. Thank you very much. And joining us, as always, from Champion Data is Christian Jolly. Welcome along. Thank you, Matt. You did mention, Neil, mm. the tipping. I thought after week one, which was a horror week of tipping, it seems to be back on track. But how many did you get this week? It seems that most people are back on track. I got three this weekend. Gee, you must have been going for a few upsets there. Well, I didn't think they were. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm having a mare. In my own defence, I came second across the uh, the office last year. So, I've got form. I will improve. But, yeah, it's a slow start. It's a long season. Jake, long. how did you go? Do you know? I think I got five or six. Five, yeah. maybe. Um, yeah, Melbourne. Letting me down two weeks in a Not row. Not the only one. Yeah. You tipped Melbourne over Geelong. I did. Foolishly, I thought Melbourne would really bounce back, so um, yeah, I think we'll touch on them a little bit later. Christian, Ma- anything surprise you? No, I, I was sort of saying up until Saturday night, I was sort of a bit uh, lacklustre around the footy. I thought a few surprising results, but Sunday really sort of spiced and things up, I think. so. Some, some great games, games on Sunday, on Sunday yeah. yeah. Mm. Matt, I think you're waiting for one of us to ask you how you're going in the tipping. I was about to say, seeing as though no one's going to ask me, I got seven last week and Is I currently right? lead... We've heard this all morning, so that's why <laughs> I currently lead the competition here at work, uh, so i uh, just like to get that out there. Again, it's a very long season. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the weekend's footy, I mean... I don't know. Maybe it's my tipping talking, but I, I, I'm just getting upset, upset after upset when I'm when I'm looking through the first two two rounds of footy. It's it's really interesting. It's it's not good if you're a Melbourne or a Sydney or an Essendon supporter, but it's uh, it's been a really interesting uh, start to the season. Just looking at the ladder, it's it's fascinating. Which which one was the biggest upset, Jake? What do you think? Um, I I tend to think Melbourne. Not so much because I thought Melbourne would win. I think a lot of people probably thought Geelong would win. Probably the nature of it was. The 80-point part of 80 it? 80 points, and, and probably if you look at the statistics, everything sort of pointed towards Melbourne um, at least breaking even in that game. So yeah. that was really surprising for me. Well, I'm sure our stat man would probably tell us, but I think five or ten minutes into the last quarter at Hawthorne and the Dogs, Hawthorne would have been just about certainty. Unbackable. Unbackable favourites. But, uh, of course, the Dogs came back and shocked everyone. Kicked, uh, I think it was nine in the, nine last, in the last quarter. quarter I yep. must admit, I turned my TV off uh, and or switched it over to the Frio Suns game, and then, yeah, I kind of just saw something on Twitter that the dogs had hit the front, and I couldn't believe it, so I flicked it back. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, let's get into our first segment. It's time for three on three. Yes, the segment where we spend three minutes on three of the hot topics for the week. Neil, I'm going to throw this one open to you, uh, to you if I can, first of all. Which of the two and zero teams do we most believe in? Four of, four of, four of the five undefeated teams were non-finalists last year in Brisbane the Dogs St Kilda and Port Adelaide we also have Geelong undefeated on 2-0 and as well yeah obviously it's a a tiny sample size at the moment and it's really fascinating to see all those I guess unfashionable teams near the top of the ladder Uh, in terms of who I believe in Geelong are the obvious ones they look like they've they've reformed themselves and they'll play finals but Who's really caught my eye is Port Adelaide. I saw them live against uh, my boys, the Demons, on in round one, and and they really ran us off the park. Uh, and I think I think they're they're looking really strong. I like the way they use 
uh, Lysette and, and Ryder as a ruck duo. Um, and I think Lysette's actually probably got claims to be one of the recruits of the year. So Certainly after the first couple of weeks, he looked really strong. Yeah, even on the weekend. So on the weekend, he uh, had a thir- uh, 23 disposal game against Carlton. He um, finished with 33.7 AFL rating points, which is one of our measures for players, which is the second most of any ruckman in a game since 2013. So it was a big game for him that's on the inc- weekend. That's Huge. incredible. Especially with all the talk of Gorn and Grundy last year and how, how much they dominated. And that's he's gone and had the best um, yeah, games for Ruckman in yeah. six years. There aren't many teams that can get away with playing two genuine Rucks, but Port seem to have found the magic combination and how they do it with Ryder and Lysette seems to be working out pretty well. Yeah. I'm going to stick my, my hand up and say the Dogs. I think uh, I said this in my preseason predictions, I think, that the Dogs would be rising this oh, year. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I did say, I'm going to ignore that, Jake, uh, that the Dogs would, would rise up and, and make finals this year because they're the core of young players that they had in the 2016 flag are now 23-24. And you can kind of see that the class is now sort of coming up. Jackson McRae is taking another step, unbelievably. Libba's back in that side and, and looks amazing. Josh Shackey's starting to come along. I just think everything's building really nicely for the Dogs. Uh, and a win like they had over the Hawks, umpire assisted or not, and we'll talk about that later, I think that they have a lot to be optimistic about and, and should probably rise back into the eight. Speaking of the Hawks, are the Dogs similar in the sense that when Hawthorne won the flag in 2008, they sort of had a few lean years and then hit their Could straps again? And the Dogs sort of... They they seem to win it prematurely, but maybe they are it's back. A, it's a really good point. And, and the way that they're playing, they're quite ferocious around the footy and... and Geez, I tell you what, I uh... when you have a few lean games, it's very quick to forget about some of these premiership stars. But mm. Hunter, McRae, Libba, they've got a Bond. They've got some serious talent. Well, I didn't even team. mention Bond before, yeah. but, but I you're right. I think one other forgotten one is Josh Dunkley. He had mm. so much to that team, that hardness. He actually, you know, can get hit the scoreboard as well. So I think he's one of their forgotten midfielders. Yeah, I think um, the dogs look good, but I'm I'm still not convinced they're going to make the eight. I, I, other than Geelong and those five that you mentioned, I, I think Brisbane. Brisbane is the one that can make the You are red hot on the lines, aren't you? Yeah, I really am. And again, I was pretty confident on them pre-season and I'm going to stick with them. They looked really strong. The only knock on the lines, they're starting games really slowly, but um, they're finishing them really quick. They're a fit side. They're a young side. They've probably got the best core players between 19 and 22 in the competition, I think, right now. And their recruiting's been really good. That is a big call. There's a a few teams with, with... players in that age break. I mean, maybe the Dogs are a little bit older, but Carlton... Are, no, well, the, dog, the, the Bulldogs are actually the second youngest team on the weekend, so they've got a lot of young talent too, the Bulldogs. Yeah, I think I so. like it. If, if not number one, they're, they're two or three. They're, they're right up there. They're um, certainly great to watch, aren't they? They are great to watch. They're a really fun, exciting team to watch, and, and they're learning as they go. They they blasted away in the first quarter, and they were just they were winning so much ball against North Melbourne, but they are rushing their entries inside 50, and they were outrunning them, outpacing them, but they weren't executing the balls inside 50 but they adjusted after quarter time and they played completely different and all of a sudden they were hitting it McInerney turned that game in the third quarter when he started taking a few marks contested marks to just give them some relief and actually hit the scoreboard uh, late in the third quarter but um, yeah very impressive wins over West Coast and now over uh, North Melbourne well Brad Scott said after the game uh, that he said they were the most or one of the most well-balanced sides he's come, he'd come across. So they've clearly built their list quite well, and I think they, they play well under Fagan too. They have, and not only have they got a young core, the 19-22-year-old the, the to talent, but their midfield group of Neil, uh, Zorko, Lyons, you know, even Robinson. Robinson, these guys, they're all in the real peak of their careers. You know, they're not, they, they're experienced players, aren't old players. That's, That's right. what I think is going to really help them. And they're, they're set for, I reckon, four or five really strong years, Brisbane. 
So we've got we've got Brisbane, Port, and and the Dogs um, around the table. Christian, any any teams here that you you're liking the look of? Yeah, I think if we're taking the obvious one, Geelong out. It's, it's the Bulldogs for me as well. They're the only they're the only ones of those four that have beaten two finalists from last year. And I know Sydney and Hawthorne, a few of them are saying they're probably dropping off this year and might not be as good as last year. But I think just looking at the opposition that the Bulldogs have beaten probably uh, holds them up high in my head. Anyone gonna make a case for St Kilda? Two and zero. I don't think so. I'd like if they can go four and zero, then we'll reassess. But uh, not in, sure just yet on the Saints. In fairness to the Saints, uh, their their draw was quite favourable early, so it's not it wasn't beyond the realms that they'd be two and zero. But uh, yeah, I think later on in the year it will catch up with them. I think with the Saints though, does that does their win over the Bombers say more about the Bombers or more about the Saints? We might talk about the Bombers in a bit we'll more bit detail. Uh, I think I might have jumped the gun there. <laughs> you might have jumped the gun, but like, on that we'll uh, we'll move on to our next topic in three on three, and that's. The crackdown on inappropriate contact, and this is the question I'm going to pose to to the the table here: is has the AFL overcorrected? I I, I certainly think the AFL's made some huge mistakes. Um, even taking away some of the the there's bad decisions in every game in in every round of footy, but it appears to me that the AFL has gone too soft with the MRO and tribunal process um, in trying to crack down on punches. So looking back to round one when uh, Cunnington whacked Wilson way off the ball in the guts, really um, a, a forceful strike, he was allowed to play the next week. That's not a good precedent to set, but the AFL has, has set that from, you know, for the rest of the season. I saw it even earlier in the season. I think Shay Mumford, who was a practice match before week one of JLT, sort of uh, hit a GWS opponent in the face. And I thought, watching the vision, this is the one. This is the one where you give him a week, give him two, first incident of the year, set some precedent. And they, I think they... Let him off in the I think end. He, they missed the opportunity to do it, the AFL. Yeah, and yeah. now they're in a really awkward position where they almost can't now, after two rounds, start doing it because people will say, well, what about Cunnington? Well, the bizarre thing that I noticed is that there wasn't even an overcorrection from like pre-season to round one or round one to round two. It was from Thursday night when Collingwood and Richmond played to the rest of the round because you looked at the Mason Cox incident. That should have been a free kick. You pay a free kick straight away and then maybe everyone moves on. I... I'm probably in the minority here. I think Cox deserves a week by by looking back at the Stephen May, the week that Stephen May got, which was so soft. But if that's the precedent, a bigger guy bracing for contact, very minimal contact, but he got, got his opponent who was a shorter man high, he got a week. For me, it was way off the ball. It's very similar to the Cox situation. So that's why I think Cox deserves it, even though... It's, it's really hard to, to pallet as an AFL The vision supporter. they brought out last night, I think, too, it swayed my opinion too. I looked at it, as most people did, just raw from what we saw on TV and thought there's nothing in that whatsoever. Dylan Grimes just needs to have more awareness. But you see that other bit of vision where sort of Mason Cox leaves his opponent, takes those three or four steps into Grimes. Again, I think they've got to stamp that out off the ball. But the remainder of the weekend, some of the decisions that were made by umpires, and I, I do feel bad for the umpires because policing this game at the moment is one of the hardest things to do. It's and hard when you, as a fan, isn't it? Oh, it's, to, it, to it, keep up. It's, it's tough enough as a fan. And these umpires, as we, as we well know, aren't full-time. But some of the decisions, I mean, the Sicily one was one that drew a lot of headlines. But, Neil, I know that you're pretty passionate about the Scott Lysette free kick. For those that don't know, yeah, it, absolutely staggering. So the the Sicily one looked like it shouldn't have been a free kick for me, but the angle that us fans was able to see didn't see we couldn't see whether it was a closed fist or a, an open palm, which makes it a little bit that changes the context of whether it should be a free kick or not. But the lie set one uh, against Carlton on the weekend, where he just nudged his opponent before the ruck contest, the boundary line ruck contest, and that, that's putting it pretty lightly. Like, is it, sorry, that's not they, pretty they lightly. They were jostling almost. They were jostling jostling is a good good word for it. Yeah. And it was a free kick. 
But is that the rule? Is the ruckmen aren't allowed to make contact before the throw-in? So, but, but if it was is, it a ruck infringement or was it one of the off-the-ball bumping infringements? It's an interesting. Can you imagine if that? So that everyone's talking about Sicily because that may have cost the Hawks the game. Could you imagine if that cost Port the game? Oh, well, see, be- and this is the. Th- but I don't know th- because and and Port have probably a little bit more reason to be agreed because they were the ones who went pretty hard at Max Gorn in round one. And when you talk about overcorrections, I think that... Uh, but you can't just overcorrect on a particular team. No, I know, but that's may, that may to. have been what happened. Yeah. Well, but if they pay that, they're paying 100 free kicks a game well, against that's, the Ruckman. Well, if that's the precedent they're setting, I'm, I'm very worried for future weeks and, and what happens in and around contests at ball-ups, in, at throw-ins, centre bounces. Uh, they were literally jostling, and he was paid a free kick. It's a good point, the, the Thursday game, how it's changed from Thursday through to Sunday... Given, given the extra day where we've got football, I, I feel like, and I don't know this, but you feel like the the umpires are sort of assessing the performance on Friday from the night before and then adjusting for the rest of the round. They have a lot of time between it's Thursday night time. games I and I love Saturday, the Thursday Sunday. game, but I reckon that's the one thing that might not be working. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, why don't we move on to our next topic? Uh, Jake, I know you're very, very passionate about this. The question is, is it unreasonable to say that Jordan Degoe is the best player in the AFL? No, it's not. Um, a lot of people might not even say he's probably not the best player at Collingwood. But um, being there on uh, Thursday night, he was spectacular. He really was. He was the difference. Um, and I know they ended up winning by seven goals or something. But um, he's a genuine superstar. And I don't say that lightly. There's probably only five or six players in the competition that are, that are in that category right now. And he's the youngest and he's got the most potential. And I don't think that we now say, is Jordan Degoe the best half forward or the most watchable, the most dynamic or exciting? Is it The question now is, is Jordan Degoe the best, the out-and-out best player in the AFL? So I think if you were Carlton's list manager now and you were able to pick from one player across the league, you'd pick Degoe over Fife and Dangerfield and if I was, If it was a school, we were in the schoolyard right now and I was picking, I would take Patrick Dangerfield 1, Nat Fife 2, Patrick Cripps 3, Jordan Degoe 4. So he's not the best player in the competition. He's in the, com- he's in the conversation. He's no longer the 50th best player in the competition. He's in the top five I comfortably for I think me you're right a little now. bit blinded by love there, Jake. I think I think you're, you talked about all these other seg- um, all these other descriptors for him, like most watchable, most influential, most impactful. But the best player in the competition, he's probably not as he's not consistent enough yet. But he, but the, that's the nature of playing as a half forward. Forward, you're not going to be consistent. You're not going to. There's not one player in the AFL in the last twenty years that's kicked five goals every single game. You've been to too many Collingwood games this year. Well, I've he's, been to both. So. <laughs> I think he's got some areas to work work on, but in terms of the biggest match winners in the AFL, I'd have him right in the top handful. The ball's in his area. You get get excited and confident as a Collingwood fan. Well, let me throw this to you three. Is he? In, do you believe he's in the top? Let's say ten. Is he in the top ten players in the AFL right now? Let's. Not, and I'm not talking about career. So, right now, at this point in time, is he in the top ten players? Are you talking? Who, who? If I was building a team from scratch and I could just go one to eighteen, yeah, uh, he'd probably not be in my top ten. He'd be in my top twenty for sure. He'd be around after his first two weeks. He'd be around ten to fifteen without much thought. I'd have him just outside my top ten too. Yeah, yeah. but certainly for me as a as a Melbourne supporter, I I look at him with so much envy compared to what Christian Petraka is and how he's performing because they they should be so similar. They've both got that that powerful build. They can explode through a contest. They're strong overhead. They're good on the ground. Dugowie's putting it all together. He's riding that wave of confidence, and Petraka cannot get a kick, hmm. and he and he just looks like he's bereft of confidence. And certainly, 
I look at Petraka uh, playing for Melbourne each weekend, and I wish he was playing like Petraka uh, as Dugowie. This I wouldn't would... rule out the fact that he can get to that level, but yeah, he certainly he's, he's a, he'd be a frustrating one, I reckon, for D's fans yeah. to to watch. I think this is uh, a question we might have to revisit later in the year. Uh, who knows when Dugowie's kicked sixty and Jake struts around the office, we might have to come back and revisit this one. How about stat with Champion Data? Yes, this is the chance for Champion Data's Christian Jolly to wow us with some of the best stats from the weekend. I know we're going to take a bit of a deep dive into both the S, uh, both the Bombers and the Ds. What caught your eye from the weekend, Christian? So, looking at both teams, we'll start at Essendon. So, just listening to the whole narrative coming out of the weekend is how disastrous that loss was for Essendon. And uh, I, I sort of agree with most of that. It was a game that I didn't couldn't see them losing. I actually tipped them as my certainty last week, so fully expected them to win. Um, but just sort of taking that step back and looking at it, sort of taking all the emotion out of it, it actually wasn't that bad for Essendon on the day. Uh, so, they... It's, it's it seems weird to it's, say that. It, <laughs> it's and very it, and weird. It's hard to say it convincingly, but the more I look into the game, I sort of I I do believe it. They weren't that bad, uh, especially after about the twelve minute mark of the second quarter. The so, boss up the back there, big Essendon fan, and he's sort of shaking, <laughs> shaking his, his head. head. He can't believe it. <laughs> yeah, I, they were I would have thought Essendon supporters, yeah, would probably be in the most uh, disagrees with this sort of thing. But sort of, I looked the game in three sort of periods. So you t- the first ten minutes, both teams were horrid. It was zero. It was two behinds each after the first ten minutes. Not much sort of to look at in that time. From the 10-minute mark to the of the first quarter to the 12-minute mark of the second quarter, uh, St Kilda outscored the Bombers 6-5 to 1-2. In that 25, 30 minutes of play, that's where you saw the interchange moves made while the ball was still in the area. You saw Aaron Francis kick it to the back of uh, Michael Hurley, um, 10 metres out from St Kilda's goal. And there was also a Matthew Parker goal kicked where... Darcy Parrish, Andrew McGarr, and someone mm. else just did not man the mark and allowed him to even it. It was genuine Benny Hill sort of stuff. And really? that all came in the same 20, 25 minutes. So in that time, Essendon's disposal efficiency was 59%. Their tackle efficiency was 54%. Again, at the same time, St Kilda was tackling at 83% in that time. So Essendon just couldn't stick their tackles, couldn't get any of that defensive pressure going. They conceded 11 scores from 17 entries. And probably the sort of the one that we noticed the most is they had five unforced turnovers in that time. So that's clangers where there's just no pressure coming from the opposition at all so that's up until the 12 minute mark of the second quarter for the rest of the game so from quarter two 12 minutes onwards these are the stats for Essendon so contested possessions they won 117 to 96 they won the inside 50s 41 to 28 they improved their tackle efficiency back up to 71 percent right around the comp average or just above and disposal efficiency was 69 percent so 10 percent better than that little period so they did fix it by the end of the game and yes they didn't get the results so Kilda walked out of the ground with the four points but again, just looking at those numbers, you can't consider this game a complete write-off for Essendon. It was a 20-minute patch where a lot of things went wrong. But for the again, second half of the game is probably what... There is something there for Essendon to work on. What I would say, though, to that is that why weren't Essendon... And this is probably something that doesn't come from the stats, but why were they not switched on from the first bounce? Correct. That is something we cannot measure. And you just looked at it, and as I said, it was the same thing. It was what happened in that 15 minutes. It was just... The three things I mentioned before, the guys coming off on the interchange, how do you, how do you measure that? I mean, that's just that's unbelievable. Just, yeah. It's just poor organisation. And, and look, I th- I've mentioned this a couple of times in the office uh, throughout the week, but Essendon's leaders probably need to step up a bit because they've been a bit quiet and they've been a bit, um, not under the weather, but you looked at someone like Zach Merritt last week with his uh, efforts when he was tackling and they said he had a virus. It's like, well, why was he playing then? Zaharakis, a couple of weeks in a row now, he's been almost unsighted. Heppel, 
Is he the most inspiring captain that Essendon could have? I mean, that's... But who else do... The cupboard seems pretty bare. And the, the big four recruits that they've actually targeted in the, in the last two years, which on paper look like f- fantastic recruits, none of them ooze leadership as well. So they haven't really addressed that. Uh, well, I agree. Yeah, exactly right. And, and maybe that's the issue that the Bombers face is actually having some on-field voices. And with the new rules where runners can only come on after goals, maybe they're just lacking a bit of on-field direction. Yeah, but the other thing with the, the game against the Saints is... You know, we can all sit there and say, well, from halfway through the second quarter, they what, they were the better side. But they were playing St Kilda. I mean, most people expect St Kilda to be a bottom four side. And Essendon expected to be a top eight side. So they really should have won that contest. Yep. Another 0-2 team uh, are the Ds. They lost by 80 points to Geelong down at Geelong last week. Do we have any cause for optimism for the Ds? Well... I think so, but it, again, it's harder to argue this one with an 80-point loss rather than an 11-point loss. But <laughs> a few things from Melbourne that catch my eye is, the first one to me is they're winning the time in forward half across their two games by 18 minutes. So nine minutes per game is their average of winning the time in forward half. Is that the best in the league? Uh, I think it was second or third. Second, it's definitely yeah. top Sorry three. to throw I was, you under yeah, the no, bus. I was, <laughs> I was looking at them in isolation. So what I've done is I've looked at every team to finish a season with at least a six-minute time in forward half differential. So per game. Win, per game. They yep. win the time in forward half by six minutes. So Melbourne are at nine. From the 19 teams that have finished a season with a six-minute differential, uh, nine of those 19 have made a grand final. Five of them won the grand final, four were running up. Another eight have made the prelim. Neil's starting to smile over there. <laughs> one, one got knocked out in the semis. One got knocked out in the elimination. So all 19 of those teams have made finals at the end of the year. So again, it's one of those stats. It's pretty obvious. You play the ball in your forward half, you're more likely to win. Melbourne have that structure. Melbourne have that game plan down pat. 72, 73 inside 50s against Geelong on the weekend. Some people are sort of saying, well, that number's overrated. Some people are saying, well, that's the number you look at to say that they, uh, they're actually, um, it's working for them. And I'm, I'm probably in the, in the latter group. But it is working for them. There is a system there that they are clearly uh, dominating territory. And that's probably the first part of the equation. So they've got that down pat. But my concern, I mean, the midfielders, there's some good players there. It starts with Gorn, and, and you've got a handful of really good midfielders in that mix. So Melbourne fans wouldn't be too concerned about the midfield, but it's it's either 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 50 in the back half and the front half, which concerns me. It seems like we get scored against really easily once the ball goes the other way, and it seems like we work really hard to try and score, and we, we can't. Yep, again, so looking at those two numbers, scoring once inside 50, you're at 27% for Melbourne, they're 18th, and their opposition mm. is scoring from 49.5%, so almost 50% entries, which is ranking Melbourne 17th defensively. So again, got to fix up the bookends. But again, I just see those numbers are being so low and so high against Melbourne. I think they will sort of fix themselves. Surely if you're, getting the, if you're playing the ball inside your forward 50 or attacking half, that much more than your position. Surely you're going to win more games. Than, than 73 not. inside 50s is 80-point win territory, not 80-point loss territory. So once they clean up the ball use... Well, that's um, the thing. I think if. the margin was a little <laughs> bit... Uh, Geelong played a super efficient game. They kicked 20 goals from 48 inside 50s, I think it was. That's, that's an incredible rate there. So Geelong were very efficient. So 80 points maybe wasn't quite a true representation of the game. But Melbourne certainly have to clean up their ball use going inside 50. And the, the other number I think will fix itself sort of organically is their accuracy as well. So at the moment, they're scoring at 34.6% accuracy, which is 17th. Their opposition, sort of going with Geelong's accuracy on the weekend, their ac- opposition scoring at 53.3%, which is the second highest against any team. So just a few things going sort of against Melbourne's way. But as I said, I, I don't think those numbers will stay that bad for the whole season. A little bit of... Room for optimism for Melbourne and, and Essendon fans. Quick uh, one-word answer to everyone. Who wins Friday night? Melbourne. 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 
I'll say Melbourne as well. <laughs> you were saying Essendon before. Yeah. Well, we'll see how we go. Uh, I think it's time to move on to our next segment. I've had a gutful. Yes, my very favourite segment where we throw it open to Jake to have a rant about what angered him in footy this week. And Jake, I've seen your notes and this one is a doozy. Well, I copped a little bit of stick for not being too fired up last week. So um, luckily there's something on the weekend that really caught my eye and it's an absolute disgrace. And I don't say that like... This has got to be one of the big issues of the uh, the AFL landscape, I'd assume. If it's an absolute disgrace, it must be bad. (laughs) This is the biggest talking point of round two. The SCG, great place to watch football, but the biggest rip-off in football. They were charging on the weekend $1.70 for a drinks tray. For Whoa. a bit of plastic to carry four beers that cost almost $40 to purchase those beers. $1.70 for a drinks tray. That is an all-time low. Wow, the big issues, Jake Michaels. <laughs> the biggest issue out of round two. No, I like it. And I agree. I think if you're paying 40 bucks for four beers, there needs to be a little bit of... It's got to be complimentary. Here's the, here's it's got to be something. Tray. I mean, that's just a joke. The MCG, I don't think they charge. I think if you order a certain amount, you get them for free. They have them all lined up there. Yeah. At, uh, but a dollar seventy, that's, that's I mean it's steep. not fifty cents. It's not like a, a little surcharge to cover the cost of manufacturing. It's a piece of plastic. That's big oh, you, the, look, the, the the positive about that is you can reuse it. So if you do go back a few times, and I assume you can take them home and then bring do them people, in the next do week. People take them back? I don't know. I mean for a dollar seventy I'd be tempted. <laughs> yeah, I reckon I would. I reckon I'd generally just leave it un- forget and just leave it under the seat. Of course I'll clean it up when I leave and walk I think out of the stadium. It, <laughs> it all it all points to the fact that the Sydney fans need the cost of living allowance back in <laughs> well, so they, they can do. actually afford to drink and enjoy themselves and, and take a few beers back to their seats. Let me pose this question to you, Jake. Is it a bigger disgrace than fish and chip shops and the MCG and other footy stadiums charging for tomato sauce for your pie? It's not a bigger disgrace. But it's, that's very close because that you said earlier that it was an un-Australian thing, but unfortunately, it seems to happen everywhere in Australia. We shouldn't be paying for this stuff. I mean, they've already got the markup on the all the hot food. It's a joke. You go to the states and you order one soft drink, and you end up getting refilled about ten times. Where's where's the generosity? That's what I'd <laughs> like to know. Yeah, that's a good gripe, and I think we're going to throw open a hashtag on Twitter if you want to get involved. It's, we're going to say hashtag Footy Gripes. What? really annoys you at the footy and uh, maybe we'll read out some of the best ones in next week's episode let's move on and the three votes goes to yes so this is my segment where i get to shine a light on the positives from the weekend and who gets the three votes this week well it's the aflw grand final what a spectacle it was Fifty-three thousand people packed into adelaide oval to watch the crows who were the most dominant team for the year take care of carlton uh one of the most interesting stats I think I noticed about the crowd was that it was more people attended that AFLW Grand Final than any 2018 NRL game apart from their Grand Final. So it just it goes to show the appetite for women's footy is there and maybe the next step for AFLW is charging to get in. Jake? The growth of AFLW in three years has been enormous and it's terrific to see. Um, and the game was great. It was a one-sided game, but it was good to watch um, the, the only thing I would say and this is without putting a damper on the on AFLW is that it, it was a free event to go to and I just wonder if they have the same sort of success if they're charging even 10 or 15 dollars per ticket I think that'll come in time it might even come in next year but even if that even if 10 or 20 percent of potential fans you know don't attend because it's there's a cover charge that still means there's 40 45,000 attending a you know women's AFL game which is just absolutely yeah. fantastic I'm seeing, I'm seeing a sort of a bit of heat on Twitter and social media about people posting this figure and saying it is bigger than a grand final and saying well they didn't pay it again 
That, that's not the point. The AFL's trying to grow a game. To have 53,000 spectators come to any event that the AFL's running, whether you've paid or not, it's a tick. So well, the competition is flying. Perhaps perhaps you you get people to pay for the finals and you, you keep the regular season games free. I mean, I look, wouldn't mind that. Maybe, maybe that's the way they introduce yeah, it. Yeah, you phase it in like that. But uh, look, the other win on the day was the, the Sunday time slot. Uh, Nicole Livingston said it outrated the North Melbourne-Brisbane game, which, to be fair, was on Fox. On but Fox. that's that's an incredible result. And look, I was critical of the Sunday standalone time slot when there was also a game in Adelaide on Saturday that they could have sort of um, uh, faded into, I guess. But honestly, the Sunday time slot worked well. The crowd was full. Uh, the celebrations went on for as long as they, they needed to without having to be sort of shoved off the ground for the men's game if they'd played it on the Saturday. Uh, and I thought it was a great success. So three votes AFLW. We're here, for, obviously, for footytips.com.au, uh, where you and your mates can tip against each other. So you've got bragging rights like myself over Neil this week. <laughs> uh, Neil, speaking of footy tips, you might need to take some advice from these next stats that you've got on our tipsters. Yeah, it's not looking good for me uh, so far this season. I'm, I'm certainly bringing everyone's average down uh, across every competition that you can see. But uh, from round two, a couple of interesting stats. Uh, 119 people out of about 580,000 tippers 650, our producer Val is telling us. So 650,000 people tipped, 119 people only picked nine, and there was no perfect rounds with a correct margin. So a lot of people struggling, Not maybe not as, as bad as myself. <laughs> uh, but the average score across two rounds is 8.3 tips, and I, I know I'm on seven. So four per game. Four per game. Yeah, so right. uh, so you're not that far off. I I'm, I'm still feel like I'm a long way off. I'm, I'm looking ahead to round three. I've got no idea what's going to happen. Well, those of us who are sitting on 12 tips for the year can sort of look down on you, I guess. <laughs> um, and here's, here's one for bragging rights for a couple of the teams out there. Um, narrowing down the, the tips per club, Western Bulldog supporters are on top, averaging 9.2 across two, two rounds. And the poor old Bombers, they, they're copying another kick here, they're averaging 7.6 to be 18th. Uh, go figures, I guess. Well, I mean, if, if one of those teams uh, is winning and one of those teams is losing and you're tipping with your heart, I guess that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It does. Uh, Tip speak, with your head, not your heart. Speak, speaking of tipping, uh, why don't we go through our certainties and upsets of the week? Jake, I know that you're pretty bullish on one team to uh, win their first game of the year this week. Yeah, I kind of was pretty quick to say Melbourne before when we asked the question. I I just re- I really haven't liked what I've seen from Essendon in the first two weeks. Melbourne... Yeah, they lost by 80 points, and it's not often you'll, you'd say they're certain to win the next uh, game after losing by such a great margin, but I think they'll, that's time. They know it. They were a side that was expected to be top four. Essendon was a side to maybe be top eight, but not certainly not as high as Melbourne. Melbourne will really need a lift next week, and I think they will. And an upset from you as well. An upset, I'm going to go Geelong to beat Adelaide. I was a bit surprised Geelong was the outside. Adelaide were good against Sydney, but uh, I think Geelong's got a pretty good record over at Adelaide Oval, and they showed... They've been the best side. Let's, it's, I think it's pretty clear. They've been the best side for the first two weeks. So that I mean Adelaide will go winless at Adelaide Oval through their first two games. Do you think that'll eventuate? Yeah, I think so. That's interesting. Christian, do you have a certainty and an upset for yeah, us? Yeah, my certainty for this week's Bulldogs. Um, Who are they playing? So they're playing Gold Coast. If you take your mind back to the start of the season, I, uh, my big big call for the year was Gold Coast to win one game in the first four rounds, which now they have done. So now <laughs> I can jump off and uh, I think Bulldogs will get the job done on Sunday. Um, and my upset for the round, probably a little bit of an unpopular one with the Brisbane love in the room, but I'll go Port Adelaide this week. Uh, again, a bit of a toss of the coin for me. I, I don't know if I really believe it, but just looking at the games, I think Port are yeah, a very good chance to beat Brisbane up there. Neil, moving on to you. Yeah, well, uh, please uh, do not take any of this advice on board when you're doing the tipping. <laughs> in fact, if you are tipping, week. just go against Neil's advice and you, you'll probably get five or six or seven or more. Even, even more. <laughs> 
Um, so, I mean, you'll be hoping I'm wrong with my upset, uh, or you, you, you'll be hoping I'm correct here, uh, the Carlton supporting gentleman in this room, because I'm going to go for Carlton to beat the Swans. Well, so. there's no chance now. <laughs> Sorry about that. I've just ruined the chances. Uh, I just don't like what I've seen from the Swans, and I actually think Carlton have been pretty good, through, even though they haven't notched a win yet. Uh, and my certainty of the week, they've just they've just got beaten by the Suns, Fremantle to beat St Kilda. And I know that doesn't sound very very logical, but I think the Dockers at home, they're going to be flat-track bullies and they'll beat a lot of teams. They're in, far in better Perth. at home, and they were last year as well. They're just a completely different side when they play um, over in Perth. Very Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, my certainty, I'm going to go with the Hawks. Uh, they're going to be pretty upset after that loss to the Dogs, and I think that they'll get the job done pretty easily over North Melbourne. And I'm going to go with you, Neil. So one of us is going to have... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one of our tipping is either going to go up or down, but uh, Carlton over Sydney, I think, is, is my upset. I've, I've also liked what I've seen from the Blues, and I think Sydney's game style at the moment isn't suiting the cattle they have. And I think if the Blues can uh, exploit the corridor and uh, the, if the bookends like Weedering and Mackay have similar weeks to what they've had in the first couple of uh, rounds, I think the Blues can get the, the job done. Don't forget to subscribe to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you rate it five stars as well. We do like reading the feedback uh, that comes in on iTunes. Seen a couple of really good ones, one of them from producer Val. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And if you want to get in touch with us, you'll find us on Twitter at Footy Tips and at ESPN OzNZ. While don't forget to let us know your biggest footy rip-offs with the hashtag Footy Gripes, and we'll read out some of the best (laughs) next week. Anything else before we uh, head off, gentlemen? No, I'm just hoping that uh, my the team I support, Melbourne, and my tips improve this weekend. Should be another good week. I've already had two, so um, yeah, looking forward to another one. Looks like there'll be plenty of talking points heading forward. We'll speak to you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast.